This is a recording made in the chapel of the open book at the Wednesday dinner hour service and his number one of a series entitled All of One, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11. Now that title needs a bit of explanation. We have been looking at Romans, the, the 8th chapter, and out of the Romans 8th chapter comes this further approach. You look at uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and I'm going to just link it on with a passage that we've already had in Romans 8, and this passage is verse 29, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You notice the addition. If you stopped at conform to the image of his son, it might be some distant affair. But he goes on. Firstborn among many brethren. That's very near, isn't it? An image might be a bit of sculpture. But to be conformed to the image of him who is going to be firstborn among many brethren. Oh, that gives you a leap that you would hardly dare to assume if it were not written. There are those who have a mind that gravitates a great deal to social reform and uh, all the universal brotherhood. That's one thing. Uh, but I don't think the scripture ever warrants that we should speak of Christ as our elder brother except in the sense of redemption. You know it's done like that. And that's how we're using it in that way only. That he is the first. But we are joined together with him. Not merely by distant ties but belonging to a redeemed family. Well now, I'll go back now on to Hebrews, the, the uh, second chapter, to get this title placed before us. Uh, it's characteristic, and we might as well remember that, uh, that um, justification is the great key word of Romans, but sanctification is the key word of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews focuses our attention mainly upon the sacrifices, the offerings, and the, the worship and service of the tabernacle. And both are necessary for us if we're ever going to stand accepted in the beloved. Now, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, <coughs> we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. Now, notice, he's coming down to our level, coming down to us. This is where it's beginning. If he never made himself a little lower than the angels, if he'd stayed in the glory that was his before the world was, we'd still be needing a saviour and we never could be united with him. So let's let this work in our hearts and minds, friends. We see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, for the suffering of death crowned with glory and honour, that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. <coughs> for it became him, for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both, now we've got the word, both, this is where we join again. He became little lower than the angels. For both, he that sanctified, and they who are sanctified, are all of one. That's where I've got my title. I thought Mr. Ramsey didn't want to get a very long title written out every time that people write to him. All of one. His person may look down the list and say, well, whatever's that? Well, perhaps they would better get the tape and find out, you see. All of one. Now, here's the little bit at the end. For which cause? He is not ashamed to call them brethren. So, now, that's Romans 8. He's going to be the firstborn of our many brethren. He is not ashamed to call them brethren because of this oneness 
Well now, the next thing is, in Romans the 8th chapter, in the opening verses, he became one with us in another context. Will you turn back again to get this link? At the end, you see, we have the union with him as members of a redeemed family. Uh, but to be redeemed means that you were in a predicament, and you needed to be redeemed. And redemption nearly always involves the idea of being in bondage. So in the first of the Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation. Well, there was once, but not now. To them which are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now what is this referring to? There's a law operating that brings death. There's a law operating that brings life. Now we're up against something that's beyond the ability of man to explain. I suppose most of us at some, at some time have had sort of feelings, I wonder why God made it so that when one man sinned, all the rest of us become involved. Well, if you've got any ways of putting it right, friends, it's too late just now. We must what they call, I think, in the newspapers, be realistic. And whether we agree with God or not, excuse me, we've got to face the fact that it is. And he says in Romans that one day he'll be perfectly justified when he's judged and answer every problem and we'll see it's right. Now Abraham, you see, he, he ventured with God. He said, if there's 50 in Sodom, will it be spared? Yes. Oh, if, there's, if there's 40, yes. Oh, he said, I've only dust and ashes, but I'll venture once again if there's 30. And he got down to 10, and even he couldn't go anymore. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Well, we've got to get there, friends. So if you want to get to one passage where this word one comes in Romans, you go to Romans 5. And you'll see that because there was a oneness there that we couldn't avoid, that's involved us by law, that's working in sin and death, then he, the second man, the last Adam, has brought into operation a law of righteousness and life. And we're transferred from one to the other. So shall we go back now and see this in Romans 5? <laughs> and if you care, while I read these verses, to count the number of times the word one comes, I think it will be borne in upon your mind that you can't avoid this emphasis upon being one with the first Adam. And then you see, we're not left to say, oh, what an exasperating thing. We are, tension is turned that we by faith can be one with the second man, the last Adam. And the one brought death, the other brings life. It says, um, verse 12, or that, that makes me go back to verse 11. The word atonement is, strictly speaking, the old English word at-one-ment here, because it's identical with the word reconciliation already in chapter 5. I'm not trifling with the ordinary word atonement, that's a different word altogether. This is reconciliation in the revised version, at-one. So there was a distance, it's bridge. Now how did the distance come? How has the bridge been made? Wherefore, as by one man, you're starting counting now, are you? One man. Sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that have not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. So he was already foreshadowing the method that's going to adopt for salvation. 
I think you can see the alternative. Either we've got to take this position and accept it, or we, if we had an alternative, every single person would have to have a, every single person would have to have an individual redeemer. Well, you say that's monstrous where we're going to get now. So God knew what he was doing, even though he may not have satisfied all our problems. Now we get the emphasis of the word one coming in. But not as the offence, so also is the free gift. <coughs> For if through the offence of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it, as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was to by one to condemnation, but the free gift of many offences unto justification. For if by one man's offence death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. You see, they're coming over now on the balance. Therefore, as by the offence of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offence might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. For as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Whatever else we may say about that, we can't avoid the word one, can we? Did anyone count the number? How many? Twelve. Well, that's a, that's a great insistence in those few verses, isn't it? Well, now as time is, is passing so quickly, let's come to another passage where it is the burden of our Saviour's prayer that this might be achieved. And you know I'm going to turn now to John 17. And then I think we, we have linked together some passages that they all may be one, uh, is the prayer here, and he came to make that possible, as we know, in Hebrews chapter 2. Now here we have this passage in John 17, and we start at um, verse 11. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one. Now you could leave it there and say, well I can understand that, but notice the words our Saviour adds, as we are. He's talking to the Father. Friends, this is a unity beyond our appreciation. We can only stand back and wonder, does it mean the unity between the Saviour and the redeemed that you and me can be in any way comparable with, as the unity between the Saviour and the Father that sent him? Well, surely he wasn't missing, missing the mark, was he? So let's go on. Uh, verse 21. Oh, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. So that includes you and me. Because we believe through their word. So here we are being spoken about. That they all may be one. Now he expands this wonderful thought. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. You see, that's, that's terrific, isn't it? It doesn't work the question. Go straight on. Just the same sort of unity between the Father and the Son is the unity between the Son and you and me. But don't you see, we're not intruding into deity. 
The relationship of father and son is not the relationship of... Uh, how can I put it? This is already someone who has stooped and become a man for our sakes. That was absolutely dependent upon the father that sent him for word and work. But it's an intimate unity, isn't it? A marvellous unity. And he goes on to go say further. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them. Now it's not the glory that he had before the world was. He says, I pray that they may behold that glory which I had with thee before the world was. And 1 Timothy 6 says, He dwelleth in light unapproachable that no man hath seen or can see. But he who was infinitely above all angels stooped below them. And then when he was ascended, where the uh, Hebrews 1 rather naively seems to say, he's uh, got a name better than angels. Well, of course he must have, but that's nothing to do with himself intrinsically. It's the one who stooped to become a man lower than the angels for our sakes. The glory that thou hast given me um, and the glory which thou gavest me I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. And he goes on further. I in them and thou in me. So this oneness is brought about by an indwelling and back again in Romans the 8th chapter. If the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you, I in them, thou in me, that I may be made perfect or be perfected into one. And the perfecting is the reaching of a goal. And the goal is 1 Corinthians 15, then shall the Son be subject unto him to put all things unto him that God may be all in all. But what a unity. Now this is almost overwhelming. And yet Peter doesn't hesitate to say it is for his epistle about being made partakers of the divine nature. Not partakers of deity. But as we've been made partakers of the human nature by the one who was the first Adam. So if we're dying with him, raised with him, and seated with him, and accepted in him, and glorified with him, we are partaking of the divine nature so far as that is possible in the state of affairs. Now this has been just a brief, quick introduction to a mighty subject. I hope you realise that it bears upon gospel preaching as well as upon your own appreciation and it will include the necessity to examine suretyship and the king's man redeemer and many other aspects of truth that belong to the person and work of Christ. So, if you can spare a moment or two, not only to say, well, that was an interesting tape, but Lord help the man who's making it so that he gives us the truth and doesn't have to repent too many times and wish he could have it all over again. For it's not only a privilege to speak, friends, but it's a tremendous responsibility to know that the few words spoken here today will in a month or two's time be listened to by people literally at the ends of the earth. May we ever be kept in the position of empty vessels, praying that the Lord will deign to fill with his own truth and then pour out as it shall please him.